Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Book Club. First rule of Book Club is you must always talk about Book Club. Second rule of Book Club is tell everyone about Book Club. Ooh, we've been waiting for this one for a while. We've got Jim Keenan on to talking about gap selling. How's it going? Good, brother. I don't know who this Jim cat is, but I'm feeling you. Yeah. <laughs> Did I get that wrong? I, I know. I know Keenan. This Jim Keenan guy. Do, is, so I, do you, you just know. go as Keenan? Yes, I do. All in one. All in one. Where does that right. come from, then? It's my last name. It's what I was called growing growing up through college and stuff like that. And so then that's I got very, smart. So that's very English public schoolboy calling each other by our surnames. Yeah, if you got a good one. <laughs> right, you see, I go as JG. I like that JG. Yeah, and Mike goes as Pricey often. Pricey's wow. perfect. I love Pricey. Listen, only when I've known somebody for a long time, so yes. let's not get ahead of ourselves, right? <laughs> I know, Mr. All buttoned up. The, the so that's it. I, I'm working from home in my suit. Glad to see you made an effort, Keenan. Yes, you look, you look sharp. Uh, I like <laughs> it because that works for you. Like, that is, that is you, and that's how I see you, and it's brilliant. I love right, how well, you're. I love how you're so on brand today with the gap selling T-shirt and the gap selling banner and the gap selling book. Me Lauren, too, I we like we need book club T-shirts, Lauren. In fact, I'm yeah. going to dress up as Tyler Durden for the next show. Good. That that was a silence. <laughs> I, I, I would say I was going to dress up as the other guy, Edward I'm Norton. Not... You come as Edward Norton. All you need is a white T-shirt. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Right. Let's get stuck into the book. So, I, I'll tell you what. Mike and I were just saying, we, we've read a lot of books now, Keenan, on the show. And what we were trying to work out before we kicked off was, are we getting desensitised to the messages in some of the books? And therefore, are we perhaps not lapping them up as much as we did when we first started? And we were wondering, because actually, intrinsically, everything you say in this book is right. Wouldn't you say? You're that? lapping it up. You're lapping it up. It's a good book. Yeah, I'll tell, tell you what I think of it, right? We'll get started. And, 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 and I'm going to start with the end in mind. So this is going to be my summary for you, Keenan. So we'll start from this point, which is, I gave this book a six and a half out of 10. Oh, that's I would have given it, listen, let me tell you why. I would have given it an eight out of 10, but, but I didn't like the familiarity with which you wrote the book, if I'm honest. Which is about your- yeah, It's good. I like that. I love that you don't like that. And that's okay for you. But you know what's so funny? I give you, I've watched your videos that we got involved. I love the part one of gap selling. And what I love about you is your straightforward nature and your uh, analytical and structural approach to things. So I would never ding you for adding your personality to something you did. Mm. I can promise you right now, if I wrote this the way you want it to be written based on your way of seeing the world, you would have given it even less than that because it would have sounded inauthentic and wouldn't have been what it could be. Because you're being well, you. Yes, I do agree with that. But I was going to ask you about the, for that from an authenticity perspective. Is Because uh, some of the way you present some of the information has a touch of controversy about it. Is that controversy to get us hooked into the book or is that 100% keen? And is that you and how you operate? It well, I would say it depends on what you're reading, but I would say 95% it's me, right? Like, so, so, so I was going to say, do you honestly hand on heart, believe that the customer doesn't care about the salesperson? Yes, and let's be careful how we say this. Absolutely, here's the deal. When someone calls me, let's say you're selling to me, right? Yep. And I, 
I got to get stuff done. And, and I remember when it clicked for me when I was trying to buy a, a, a ATS, an applicant tracking system, several yep. years ago, right? And they're at, they're talking, oh, and I went to this school and we did this and how you doing, King? I'm like, shut up. I don't care. Like, can we please get on with this? I don't, look, if at the end of the day, through the process, I'm like, hey, this cat's pretty cool. I think this person, like our conversation right here, like, I like you guys. You're pretty cool. I've watched you. You're hip. You're fun. So this is enjoyable. But if you were stuck, like these other podcasts, I couldn't give a shit about the other person. Couldn't care. But it didn't mean we didn't have a good uh, dialogue. No, I don't care about me. I'm self I'm self-centered. It's me, 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 and so are you, and so are you, Graham. So why are so many salespeople? Because Mike and I have debated this heavily, that particular part of the book, the no one gives a shit about your book bit. I totally agree with you. I think no one gives a shit about their salesperson. See, I don't. I disagree with that. I know that. But they can. Here's the why? thing Michael's struggling with. I think he's struggling with this. They can care. And if they do care, that is awesome. But where they come from, and that's where that's where I came from this. So just understand how I got here. Where the starting line is, the starting line, I don't care. I don't want to hear about the Inc. 500 that you made. I don't want to care about hear about your corporate culture. I don't want to hear how many employees you have. I don't want to hear about your offices. I don't want to hear about any of that. I want to know that I'm the center of attention because I've got a job to do. I've got something to accomplish. I've got objectives to meet. And if you're not starting with me, I'm irritated. Yeah. Okay. And I think okay. that's bang right. That. But so why? You know, Mike, Keenan, Mike and I spend all day interviewing sales guys. It's and what the rest we of do. the time talking to them. Yeah. <laughs> we spend our lives talking to, meeting, listening to the pains, the heartaches, the, 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 the complaints, the brags of salespeople in the tech sector. That's all we do all day, right? And the amount of salespeople where often I'll do a deal review with a, with a guy as part of an interview process on behalf of a client. And I'll say, tell me about that deal. What do you think it was that made you win it? And they'll say, oh, it's the relationship. Ooh. Uh, Keenan, you're, you're, you're slapping your face. Welcome Listen, to our is, world. That is 95 And it drives me crazy. I know it is. No, I know it. And it drives me crazy. Like I just, it, you're reaffirming what I've experienced in my, like, so you, you have your anecdotal stories. I have my anecdotal stories and not too anecdotal anymore, are they? It's like that. <laughs> yeah. And it drives me insane. Why do you think there is this thing going around that almost this unwritten people by people first, people by their relationship with you, you've got to be a relationship builder, and where the onus, I think, in the modern sales world has just gone too far into relationship and not enough into, are you understanding the needs of your customer? Are you understanding where your customer is now and where they want to be? And not enough... For me, not enough candidates come to me with a deal story when I'm doing that on behalf of a client and say, well, actually, Johnny, I totally understood what was hurting the client and I managed to find a way of explaining to him how we could solve that problem. And I don't hear that enough. No, and, you know, know, I've done two interviews today before we've done this show and neither of the candidates said, I totally got what the problem was. I saw it from a different angle to anybody else. The customer's jaw hit the table. And as a result, I then went away and explained to him how we could solve the problem and, it, and it, I saved his life. Very few people say that. Very it's few. It's a small percentage. Why? Because they didn't read Gap Selling. Nah. <laughs> you get one plug on the show or, we, or we're killing it. Here's, here's my two cents on this. I was thinking about this the other day. Look, we got to go back to when sales started. Okay. It was at a different time. It was a different cultural time. 
okay? And it was before four phones, like when sales started, you had people going door to door or you had people on the side of the road hawking things, right? Yeah. So their ability to connect emotionally to somebody quickly allowed them to drop their guard, which then allowed you to get in and do whatever you had to do, which was most of the time was pitching. And so we built on that, right? We built on this idea of trying to get people to drop their guard, right? But no one really, when we, when we moved through the process of finding out once they dropped their guard, why did they buy? No one really did the research and no one really talked about it. And when they did, no one really pushed it hard enough to say, look, the relationship may or may not have gotten you to get the conversation going, but I promise you it's not why you actually bought and no one's really laid it out, spelled it out, and, and, and continue to drive it home. And so what happens is when you have something like that, that starts an industry, starts a thing, like I'm going to piss off a lot of Americans right now, but oh well. Look, <laughs> the American dream, right? The American dream is stuck with America since, since it was started and then really took off in the 1800s, right? Turned that into the 20th century because it was the best place in the world to chase your dreams. Well, what people aren't accepting now is that no matter what study you throw out there, a lot of studies have suggested and proven that the American dream is not just in America anymore. And we're not just the best place in the world to chase your dreams and have upward mobility and all that stuff. But Americans won't let go of that. They, they, they won't say, wait, maybe we need to fix something. Maybe we need to work on it. It's because it is rooted in the identity of the country. So the relationship thing is rooted in the identity of selling and has not, no one's been able to properly break it in a respectful, constructive way to get people to let go and move to the next phase. To that slightly more intellectual level. Why do you think they don't teach selling in business schools? I think for a long time it was, it was too vague. No one, I don't, look, I think Rackham did amazing work in getting, yeah. trying to put some bit of structure and process behind it. Um, I, I wish he had run with it or other people had run with it more, but I think for a long time it was just too difficult to put into a curriculum, right? That people could learn the academics and not necessarily the skill components. Most selling uh, training is around the skills component and people in school don't need to go do the skill. They need to do the, they need to understand the knowledge. Yeah, I think right. so. Right, listen, I've got a bone to pick with you as well. And I've got to say, <laughs> I've got to say, I've, I've posted this on LinkedIn and a lot of people agree with you, Keenan. It's about 50-50 between you and me. So let's tip this one way or the other. Chapter eight, let's talk about your very bold statement in relation to BANT. And let's start with the first part of BANT, BANT is budget. budget. Why on earth are, are, are the people that I'm talking to now, and you're a big proponent of it, a few of the other writers we've had on, they're not as obsessed by people having budget as I think they should be. You guys are out there pitching people who don't have an assigned budget and you're selling to a latent need. What's that all about? It's about maximizing your opportunities and not qualifying someone too early. Just right now, I have two opportunities in my pipeline where people did not budget for and they're like, we need to go get the money. Because just go right get now, I've got no opportunities in my pipeline where people don't have the money. Okay. So, and then so you Keenan, you'd have a bigger pipeline. You'd have a bigger pipeline if you embrace this. Because here's the deal. But if I'm, I have a bigger pipeline, I'm not focusing on the guys that got budget. I'm I'm triaging them to go and find some other fellas that haven't got budget. Surely actually just focus on the ones that have got budget and close them. But, but let's think okay, so take a step back. 
right? When somebody caught, when you reach out to somebody, I'm assuming, I'm assuming you're doing outbound. Yeah. Right? yeah. Hell yeah. When you reach out to someone in outbound and, and you reach out to them and they're like, I'm not interested. And if you're really good and you find a real problem, they're like, you know what? This is an interesting thought. I had never thought about this before. Thank you for bringing it to my attention. And then you flip that script. You say, so do you have budget? And they're like, no, I got it. Never mind. I wish I had this conversation. See you later. Are you kidding? Like, seriously, Mikey, you are a super smart guy, right? You are a super smart guy. I watched the wheels turn in your head. And you're just stuck in the, in the process that, that Graham was just talking about. I can already know for a fact that if you capture someone's attention and they realize, wow, you're right. I didn't really think about this problem. You got some great points. This is something we need to address. You are not going to all of a sudden say, call me back when you have budget. But it's about, it's about return on time spent. Return on time spent with latent budget, you've got to spend a lot more time to get a budget, to get some budget and to create a budget. Why not just spend that time finding somebody who has got budget? I don't have to spend much time on someone else getting budget. They have to spend the time. They go get it. I only just have to convince them the value. So they're off getting it. They bring someone else in. This is the problem. And oh, by the way, if you think there's miles between getting budget and the acceptance of the problem, maybe I gave you more credit than you deserve. They're really close <laughs> together, right? So even though Why? someone's got budget, you're talking to them, trying to convince them that your solution is the right solution. Half the time, if they don't have budget, those conversations go hand in hand. So it doesn't take Okay, but let's talk about authority because you were talking about, and I actually made a note somewhere, you, you, there's some really cool questions in that chapter about, uh, where was it, chapter eight? I really liked it. I, and it, does the prospect of a problem you can fix, so it's actually chapter 11. Um, does the pro, the, I wrote here, does the prospect of a problem you can fix? Does the prospect agree they have a problem? Does the prospect want to fix the problem? Will the prospect go on a journey with you to fix the problem? And then I wrote, does the prospect have any money with which to fix the problem or do they have any authority with which to introduce you to somebody who has the authority to sign off on buying your solution to the problem? And that, that was the bit that's that's bothered me and Mike is I get I get it more than I think Mike does, not in as much as I get it more intellectually, but I, I'm a little bit cooler with it. But for me, I get it. You can meet a client. Uh, in recruitment, humans are an interesting thing because people buy jobs, Keenan. Yep. They, they buy jobs like they buy cars and houses and customers buy candidates like they buy cars, houses, software solutions, sales yep. training. It's still a procurement decision in either direction. If we meet a candidate and he doesn't have pain, they very, very rarely change jobs. Mm -hmm. No pain equals no change. If you meet a client, for example, and there is no pain, i.e. I've not got growth pain and I've got to increase the size of the team, or I've not got pain because somebody's an idiot, then they very, very rarely have to hire somebody. And they very rarely go out and find extra budget unless you come up with something that's astonishing. So from mine and Mike's paradigm, it's a difficult one to swallow. But I get it because having sold software, I get that at some point you can show somebody, look, this is something a little bit special or there's a problem you'd not thought of. And actually, I can make you a boatload of cash here. I okay. get that. But the bit that I wish I wish you'd added was the question of, OK, great, I've got latent need. But at some point, you've then got to find somebody who's going to find somebody who's going to get you the money to sell the software or the kit or the product or whatever it is. So, so don't get me wrong, by the way. Have we misinterpreted Absolutely. it? Bant is critical through the sales process. 
okay. as the person driving the deal through the process, I need to find the budget and I need to get the customer, the buyer to say, okay, I've got the budget. I need to make sure that if I'm talking to the person who doesn't have authority, they will get me to authority. I need, so if you go like this, absolutely. But let's remember, Bant was created in the 80s as a qualifying tool. Yeah. That as you're on the phone with somebody, if they don't have budget, if they are not the authority, if they do not have need, if they do not have timing, they are not qualified. And I say that is bunk. You can get all of that throughout the sales process. The only thing that determines if they're qualified is, is there a problem you can fix? Do they accept that they have the problem? Are they willing to fix the problem? And are they willing, this is the key piece, are they willing to go on the journey to fix the problem? Okay. So they're on the journey with you, or you think they're on the journey with you. At what point do you and don't you jump out and stop throwing resource at the customer? That well, when when they're not the journey is all those steps. So if you determine and they de let's just say we're talking about something that costs one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, okay. We can all agree that if it costs one hundred fifty k ARR or even MRR, they have to have that budget, right? Yep. In ninety percent, okay. So early on, the conversation should come around once they said, you know, we do have this problem. And this is something we really need to fix. And you can say, have you not thought about fixing it in the past? They'll say no. And say, okay, so understanding that, I'm assuming you don't have budget for this thing. Is this something we're going to need to process through to get you? Oh, absolutely. I'm already on that. Or oh, great point. Let me get that part of the ball rolling. Right. right? It, it's, it's, everything is based on the problem. That's why I call it problem-centric selling. I get you bought into the problem and I get you understanding the impact of the problem. Now, everything you want to do is tied to solving it. So I can, one step at a time, I can knock these down. But if I don't get you committed to the, admitting the problem or solving it, the rest of the stuff doesn't matter. And to your point about relationships, 95% of most salespeople go through that whole sales process not even knowing what the problem is. The customer is doing all the work in their head by default. You've got a yep. glorified order taker who yep. doesn't even know why they sold the thing. Often, yeah. Well, you'd be, uh, uh, how, how often, Mike, do we people meet, do we meet people who don't know why they want a deal? Oh, just don't get me started. So let's get to a really good bit of the book here, Keenan Wright, because I don't want to appear too negative because I did like the book. And actually, if somebody said to me, should they buy it? I would definitely say yes. It's a definite yes for me. Too. Yeah, it's a definite yes for me is I really liked the model. So the model is the gap selling model. And that is, let's be fair, the main emphasis of the book. And we haven't covered that yet. I really, really liked that journey from uh, current state to future state. I thought it was, I really, really enjoyed that. And, and I think of the best sales books I've read or the ones I've liked the most, they've got a model that I like. So for the people that are listening, just give us a two sentence summary of the gap selling model. So it, it's basically, as you said, the current state where the customer is today, and there are five elements of that, right? The, the physical, literal, the problem, the impact, the emotion, and the root cause. And then it's the future state, which then is the same five elements on the other side of the coin. So the physical and literal of the future state, the problems that are gone in the future state, the new impact to the organization or the person, then the uh, emotions that they want to feel, right? Relief, elation, et cetera. And the last piece, which is the opposite of root cause, is the solution, potential solutions that would be in place um, to solve the problem. And it loops right back. And then mm. the middle of that is the gap. And that's future state minus current state. And that's the, the difference. So in a ROI perspective, if I'm spending $1 million today or wasting $1 million and your solution gets me down to only 100000 
the 900,000 is the gap and it's also the, the motivation and it's the value of the deal. I was very fond actually of how you were very keen to make sure that people had an actual number to that. I, yeah. I thought that was a very to sort quantify of, the gap. It's very yeah, powerful. Yeah. yeah, I can imagine a sales manager, you know, speaking to a sales guy and saying, how did it go? And they said, yeah, yeah, they're a long way from where they want to be. And the sales manager going, how far? And the sales guy going, I don't, you know, I don't know, just a long way. Uh, absolutely. So when you're I training- I call open-ended answers. I bet you like that. I call no open-ended answers. Loved None. it, yeah. Absolutely. Thought yeah. it was absolutely right on the money that. Really like Yeah, it. alongside one of the things we enjoyed, we were, Michael and I were talking about earlier, was uh, the chapter on managing um, about going deeper into, so it's a good deal, is it? Yeah. Why is it a good deal? What is it about it? What did the customer say? What were the customer's words when he told you he was interested? And, and getting to that level of depth that I think, again, so few people do in, in those cadence calls or in those commit calls or in those coaching calls with, with a salesperson, where actually the call often, I think, goes, Tell me about your pipeline. Right, this one, great. Where's it on your forecast? Oh, it's 90%, boss. All right, great. Tell me about that one. And it's very superficial, isn't it, often a lot of the time? Yep, yep. And how? And when you sit down with, with teams, of, uh, teams of salespeople then, how readily do people accept this as a training me methodology, would you say? Big time, big time. Do they go straight they, in or do you find... You know, let's say, for example, you were to run a training course, which I guess is what you're doing. You turn up at Company X next week. There's 15 delegates on the course at X many pounds per head. Uh, the CEO introduces you, leaves you to it in the room at, at the Ramada by the motorway. Um, and do you find at first you get, um, do you get resistance or do people just dive straight in? Not great question. You're the first person to ever ask me this question. And here's the answer. 95% of the people dive right in. There's always one, two or two, and I guess out of 100 to be five, but you get my point yeah, out of That'd be me, you know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. And this is what they do. This is what they do. Yeah. Right? And, and then about, as, it, as I walk through the, the gap selling concept of, of uh, current state, future state, and the gap, which by the way, guys, I came up with that because it maps, it maps to how we decide. Like I didn't just make this up because it sounded good, right? When we make decisions, conscious or subconscious, we start with where am I right now? Yeah. Am I okay with it? Is it tenable? Am I uncomfortable? And then I say, hmm, and I look to some desired future state and say, is that better? And then I evaluate the difference between the two and I start processing what it takes and is it worth it and, and, and is the value there? And so if that's how we decide whether someone's helping us or not, then why the hell are we not building a sales methodology to map to that process? So okay. what happens, I tell them all the people and they go like this the first, I don't know, hour and then they kind of go like this and then they get a little upset and they ask a question and I just bury them like, oh, that's a good point. And then they start going like this. And by the end, they're the leaders helping everybody else figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it usually works, is it? Yeah, absolutely. So you're, I've never you're, had a person come back and argue me at the end. You're obviously really into the deeper thinking element of sales. The bit, for example, I'm, I like to nerd out on it. The decision-making process. What happens, you know, my favorite module at university was customer behavior. And it, and it made a big difference to me when I ended up in sales, as some people do. You know, I didn't choose sales, but I ended up here and I enjoy it. 
but what I ended up doing, and I remember within about a week of being in sales thinking, hold on a minute, I studied this at university, buyer behavior, how people buy, how they think, what's making them do it. I don't get why others aren't as interested. Because for me, I could just read and listen and watch. Because that surely to me, that's the essence of selling. How the customer thinks. Ego. What's, what's the guy thinking? Ego. I, you are absolutely, we are on the same page with that, Keenan. 100%. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not going to do Send that. Send the hug down uh, the internet. No, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. That's not my style, really. We, we maybe can shake hands. Keenan, Michael but... is the least tactile human being on earth. I'm amazed he has children. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you're absolutely, because the ego is a funny one, right? Because the, the salesperson needs an ego. It drives them. It protects them. It, it, does, it insulates them. It does all of those things. But actually, the ego is the thing that stops them being effective as well. Yep. Well, yep. That, that ability to almost subjugate yourself to the information. Yeah, and yeah, say, you know, and what, say, what? I know nothing, tell me now. You know yes, what? yes, right there, right there, you said it. Look, I, I, I'm, I'm reading a book called The More Beautiful Question, right? And Any one good? of the things he said, it's great, yes, it's great, it's great. And one of the things he says in it is the ability to ask questions comes down to a willingness and an acceptance that you don't know. And yeah. if you're not comfortable saying you don't know, it's going to be more difficult for you to ask questions because your ego is going to protect you from that level of vulnerability. I, somewhere around, around the world, flipped that, I mean, throughout my life, flipped that script and actually have gained confidence in not knowing things because I know that once I know the answer, you're all fucked because I'm going to be way <laughs> smarter than you. That so curiosity, I'm that human... It's interesting when you're talking about that. I was at a party on Saturday where there's a young man there. He's 23 years old. He's just about to move to another country as a salesperson. And this kid is earning serious, serious, serious money. If you'd met him seven years ago, um, you'd have thought this kid's just going to amount to nothing. He's a stoner. He's useless. All he cares about is getting stoned and playing Xbox. And he's grown up into this young, responsible lad. But the one thing I noticed about him is he has this incredibly charming curiosity to ask questions and he knows nothing but he'll ask all oh, right what does that all oh, right what's blockchain so could you explain that to me i don't understand what it is please and he does mm -hmm. it so politely but he's yep. so naturally interested in everything and i and i sat there talking to him at this party and i've known him for a long time since he was a kid and i sat there thinking i can see why your sales career is going so well because you're well, so well, bloody curious and curiosity is a, is a beautiful childlike quality, isn't it, that we knock out kids? Yeah. Yep, you know, it that's is. Reality. Yep. I, I liked your, your question, actually, or your statement, I'm confused. Yeah, I, 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 we loved that. I knew you would. I knew the, you would. That, that was a beauty. I, 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 I invariably ignore most of the stuff I read in sales books. I'm going to take that one with me. I thought that was an absolute... He still problem. only gave me a 6.5. He's going to come out of this. He's like, no, no, no. We gave it 7.5, actually, because what I decided to do was get, was get over my own stiffness about the way it was written and accept the fact that the content was good. <laughs> I, I know that's me being a stiff, sort of stick-in-the-wood kind of guy, but let's get on to the subject of prospecting, Keenum. Because I think you want to, I'm, I, and I want you. Do you want to explain to people why the "I'm confused" is so powerful? Because yeah. although I love that statement, what people need to understand is you are unable to use that phrase if you have not properly got the gap. 
And so to your point, when you sit with most people, these, these reps that have come to you and said, oh, I did it on the relationships, et cetera. When that customer says to them, hey, you know what? I really like your product, but you don't have this XYZ feature. And they run back to freaking you know, engineering. So you've got to build this feature, hurry up. Never knowing that if they had done a proper gap sell, the customers even need the feature. And there's a job to get the customer say, you know, now you think about that, you guess they're right. I don't need that feature, right? Like, yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. I'm confused. You told me the problem was so, so then why is it then why do you need this feature i don't see how it helps correct yeah, and you're keeping thought- you're keeping them on you're keeping them on subject and on track aren't you yep. yeah yep. can i ask a question before we move on to prospecting please Mike? well i was enjoying myself jonathan go on then, got, go yeah, on then no, you're all right go for it you're all right go for it you're not the customer's bitch yes yes so this goes to the relationship piece and i'm already seeing mikey squirm right Look, it's not about being disrespectful. Like, I, look, Mike. Oh, no, Mike, I know I agree with you on this point. I just wouldn't have used that language. I do agree with you, though. Because you asked me a question earlier about, am I, am I, I don't know if you said cheeky, but look, this is my personality. And, and I am this informal. I am very tactile. I love people. I'm super energetic. But I'm also not, I also understand how to, to create a little bit of showmanship. And yeah. to say, you know, don't do what the customer tells you is boring. So this is yeah. fit, but it comes from the relationship piece. Too many salespeople are afraid to push back on the customer and do whatever the customer tells them to do. Sort of like an unbalanced relationship. You know, the guy who's a smoking hot chick and the and the average looking dude and his, whatever, honey, whatever, honey, because he's so afraid of losing her, he's forgot yeah, his yeah. own value. So, so too many salespeople I, in customer service, I agree with you. Yeah, they just, they're afraid in the sales cycle. Well, I don't want to lose this deal. What if I lose this deal? Oh, 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 oh. So they're around playing free. No, you're not the customer's bitch. You're a valuable asset position yourself that way and stand tall yeah stand tall i love salespeople. i agree with you i i agree big time i think that's a massive paradigm shift for certain salespeople. i think jonathan it's a paradigm i'll tell you what it is for me actually it's a paradigm shift for people who didn't start in sales i can very often pick it up so keenan we'll quite often interview people maybe who started in customer service or maybe who started in pre-sales yeah or maybe started from a position where you as a contact were reverential to the prospect that you were sat opposite. Whereas actually, that's what you're talking about, being reverential, yeah, really. Yeah, you meet guys who were like financial advisors and stuff. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, the where certain... the customer's always right. Yeah. Anyway, so let's get to one of my favourite topics, actually, which is uh, prospecting. Now, Chapter 14, you've put here, why is prospecting so hard? I'll tell you why prospecting is so hard, and you didn't say it, and it surprised me. Prospecting is hard because I think people are afraid of it. I honestly okay, great point. Yeah, I agree with you. It's I not hard you. if you're not afraid of it. See, I'm surprised you didn't say that though. Why didn't because you because you're so outspoken? I'm surprised you didn't say that people are afraid to prospect. You know what's interesting? If you go through my book, I don't speak to too many of the uh, what we'll call the for lack of a better term, the, the personal elements of selling, like you know, like Jeb Blunt's book I, I reference in here. They, you know, I don't talk about making one more call, I don't talk about structuring your day, like Look, I, I'm not, you, you don't want to see my world, right? So that's not me. What I what I, I know how to do is actually sell. So yep. if, if you're afraid of prospecting, I don't feel that that's my, how do you say, my, um, my expertise. So I don't know how to, I, I don't put things out unless I can add value. So to say it's hard to do, I'm mm. not going to tell you how to make it unhard, like, but I can tell you what to do to, to do it well, and maybe that could help. I'm yeah. surprised you didn't have some more scripting in your book. Hate scripts. Hate scripts. Won't use scripts. Ooh. You don't need scripts in gap selling. Oh, right. Now we've started something. You don't like scripts. So what are you so what when you when you go to the uh 
to the pictures, you want somebody just to turn up and just make it up as they go along. You want your actors just uh, ad-libbing. Ad-libbing it. Yeah, whatever. We'll make it up. Okay, great. And roll the cameras. <laughs> yes. So everybody pay attention very closely. I've, I've gotten heat from people, but they've always come to my side after the fact. Unless what they do is they redefine the term script. The pick. Do you remember the pick, the problem identification chart? Yep. Yeah. Love that, by the way. If an organization builds a, an appropriate, a, an appropriate, highly in-depth pick, problem identification chart. Yeah. And they train their sales team, their sales team, on the problems, the impact those problems can have on the organization, and the root causes of why those pro, uh, problems exist. I don't need a script. It becomes a giant if then. I learn and earn my credibility and carry the conversation through questions about finding that problem. You cannot have a script to find a problem to ask. You can only have a script to tell. So and don't so you think you need a script. script? So let's say, so let's say, you know, you're you, we don't know each other. You work for some computer software company that I want to deal with. I've sent you an email. By the way, you bit on cadence, hundred percent thought you're hundred percent right on that. At some point, I've got to pick up the phone and I say, hey, Keenan, this is Michael Price for Inwood Revenue. I, surely I need an opening statement, an opening framework to try and engage you. Okay, I'll agree really, with you. I don't know anything about you. I'll agree with you. Okay, I'll go with framework. If you call a script a framework, I'll give it to you, Michael, because you've been so nice to me today. But the, the opening framework is asking about a particular problem. And but I don't you, think a prospect is going to answer that. They do all the time. It's actually, I want to. If someone calls me and says, hey, Keenan, we're with... XYZ recruiting and we deliver these types of speeches and we do this. I'm like, yeah, so what? What if someone's like, hey, Keenan, listen, I, I, I saw your ad out there and it's been sitting out there six months. Have you been having a difficult time getting the or identifying the candidates that you want fast enough? Okay, good point. Yeah. You know, Pricey, the campaign that's working very well for me at the moment is I'm wondering if I could ask you, have you ever made a bad sales hire? No, okay, you're going for a problem. You're going for a problem. And here's the piece. People say, oh, never ask yes or no questions. I went, oh, yes, here's the thing. Because if you say no, nobody's going to. Uh, no, I've never, I've never had that problem. Because I know that I've built a solution to solve it. So I can say, fantastic. And one other question might go, almost 90% of my customers or, or whatever have struggled with, how have you done that? How have you been able to avoid that? But I'll tell you why. Go, go, go. No, no, sorry, I didn't mean to talk about it. I tell you what's part of that, though, Keenan, is you have a very engaging personality. 100%. It's a compliment, so take it as one. Yes. But actually, if you came on the phone, you've got my attention straight You've got away. my attention because it's you, but you're, you know, that's Your not energy's me. coming down the phone, mate. That's not 99% of the people out there. And for sure, when you're looking at the nine criteria for uh, interviewing for Gap Sellers, you don't mention effervescent personality anywhere in it. So actually, you're talking about... I don't about think you need it. Sorry? I don't think you need it. It helps, but I don't think you need it. Do you know what I Because listen, I'm like, Mike, no, I'm watching, like, okay, I'm, you were, remember that, what was the odd couple? You old enough to remember the odd couple? Which one are uh, you? He's it. Jack Lemon and you're Walter Matthau. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, exactly, exactly. Yes, thank you very much. So, okay. Is, is that a compliment? Cool. I'll take it as one. Well. No, no, it was meant to be, right? So Good. here's the deal, right? You are very articulate. So your ability in your own words to craft a question that will resonate with that buyer, I have all the confidence in the world. And so what I teach my, my customers to do is once we teach them this, your goal is to get your sales team to understand and believe 
in the set of problems in that pick. And so whatever their natural personality is, it just asks the question to get the buyer to respond with a yes or a no. I have this problem or I don't. And then it's easy to go from there. And what you're selling that, saying then, sorry, is that the people should play to their own strengths. So if they have quite a sort of dry, sort of sensible personality, they should have a presentation style that's congruent with it. Yeah, yes. be yourself. And, yes, but it's all about asking questions. This is what I say. Become problem finders, not okay. product tellers. And it's amazing how people respond. Because even if, even if you screw up and I say, hey, Mike, you know, do you have XYZ problem? And you say no. Most people, like most training, you're like stuck. They don't need to, most training doesn't even know what to do, so they came up with this thing that says, don't ask yes or no questions because I can't tell you how to get out of a no. My answer <laughs> is, my, my answer is perfect. Most of my customers have seen this. Could you explain to me how you've been able to do this? Because I love this, and this is what they do. They go into the process. The minute they start divulging their process on how they do something, 90% of the time, you will find one, two, or three things wrong with that process that you can then say, hey, that's great. Well, you said you do this. You said you use, res you said you use, um, what's that thing, Excel. And then yeah. you, go, so you go back to your pick. So when you use Excel, even though you're getting this outcome, do you find that is a problem? This takes too long. You This is the, yes, yes, I got you. I got you. We are now talking about fixing that, <laughs> and we have a conversation. All right. What's the best sales book you've ever read? Um, straight, straight sales book. My favorite and best would probably be Challenger Sale. Um, and then from my overall career in general, it was Execution. Tell me and about this is Execution. Why. Execution by Larry Bossidy and Ram Charan. Uh, I was not a surprise. I was one of those kids and young, young men like this gentleman you were just talking about who had all the ideas in the world. I had an idea for everything. But execution forced you to ask how. And so and after reading that book, it. it literally, it literally reshaped my mind to look at everything, not just this idea is awesome, but how would I get it done? How would you execute it? How would this happen? And then I started looking at processes and that changed my whole sales world because I no longer had conversations about check out this mouse. I was like, tell me about how you're moving around the screen. Right? I was always about how, how, how. And the minute I had how process conversations, I would sell anything because all processes are broken and all sales almost Fix the process. Every yeah. sale is addressing a process almost 99% of the time. Cool. Pricey, any other questions? Yeah, so so I, obviously, I, I've got a few hours worth of them, but I'll just ask one more, <laughs> just, for the, just for the sake here. We can do a part two. You guys, this is my best, uh, what do you call this, podcast in a while. So if you want to do a part two. Cool, right, listen. Are you listening? Can you hear me? So uh, on chapter 20, hire the right people. Can you hear me, Jonathan? Hello. One, oh, two. Yeah, you come back. So, so, so chapter 20. Keenan, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Right. Well, Jonathan can't, so let's just ignore him. I can hear you. So, 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 <laughs> so chapter 20, we've got hire the right people, and you've got nine different points. Curiosity, critical thinking, empathy, problem-solving leadership, creativity, deliberate learning, coachability, business acumen. I, I like all of those. I, I actually think chapter 20 should have said calling with revenue. Yes, but anyway, <laughs> so chapter 20. Now, I, I, my question for you here is, and it's, and it's not a criticism, it's a more straight question. So, so let's say you turn up to company XYZ, you know, Microsoft, they phoned you and said they need your help. They've got a team of 10 people. You've delivered your training, your training course. One of them's left. Nine of them have stayed. Uh, Bill turns around and he says, right, Keenan, let's do a bit of interviewing. How on earth do people interview, in your opinion, against those nine criteria? I think that, they're hard to interview against. Yes, they are. And I'm not, you, ah, oh, see, you're so smart. 
you are so smart. Yes, they are difficult. So we can break them down. So pick one. I know you don't want to go through all nine, 10, 11, whatever they are. Tell me which ones you'd like to address because I have well, thought through this. Well, well, I'll tell you what, I'm not on that page. Let's at random pick number five. So let me go back to that page. Let's see what the fifth criteria is. And let's see how you answer it then. So the fifth criteria is leadership. Okay. So what I so one of the questions I ask around leadership is I ask, is there anything in your life that bothered you, frustrated you, you didn't think was happening, particularly in your personal life or at the job, where you um, um, felt it needed a change and you took it upon yourself to make the change? So you're asking situational questions then around each of those points. So yes. you're looking for empirical situational relevance. Yes. So, right. so look, I, I don't always see myself as a leader, but when people ask me that question, I look back, and oh, shoot, I started a nonprofit because I saw something on TV that that was amazing. I, uh, I, you know, and I'm like, oh, and then when I was a kid in camp, I, I became a camp counselor because like, so all of a sudden they're, they're right there on top. Yeah. Got you. Right. Listen, I, I'm done. I've got to say, Keenan, uh, I do genuinely think the book's worth buying. I like it. I like your framework. Definitely. I like, I like a framework irrespective of what it is. I've always said on all of these shows, have a model, any model, stick to a model of some kind. Don't matter won't be far off. Yeah. Yeah. Just, it's like a sports game, right? Isn't it? It's like a golf swing or a tennis, whatever. Just have a repeatable model. And I like your model. I think it's really good. I've enjoyed speaking to you. You've put a lot of uh, energy behind it. Um, and thank you for your time. What's your next book going to be, Keenan? Uh, interesting question. I do have another one coming out. It is going to be... I'm just trying to think of how much I want to give away. I uh, start the... I am going to tell the world how to buy from the buyer's perspective. Now that's a cool sounding idea. I once read a book on that was called why people don't buy things. And it was well, brilliant. Actually. I'm going to tell you why they do buy things, but more importantly, I'm going to, I'm going to tell the world from the buyer's perspective at each stage, what's happening, what's going on, why I'm doing this, what I want you to do. It's, it's almost like a, a, a dating book for, from women's point of view for men, right? A man walks up to a bar and does this. Men have been telling men how to do this, do this. I'm going to forget the dude. When a guy comes up to you in the middle of a bar and he does this, how does it make you feel? What do you want him to do instead? So what effectively, the book is going to be called Salesmen are from Mars, Customers are from Venus. Hey, okay, there you go. I like that, yes. <laughs> right. Yes, that's the next one. Uh-huh. Keenan, you've been awesome, mate. Absolutely Thank brilliant you. energy. We've enjoyed the book. We thank you very much for allowing us to be honest and direct about it. Um, it. You've helped us keep the show authentic. You know, we've asked some questions, you've answered them. Fair play to you, fella. It's a good book. If somebody followed that, you will sell more. Buy it. If you like what you're listening to, hit the like and share button right now. Thank you. Good night.